If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn me to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll, um, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, if you were here over the summer, um, one of the things that we did was we explored the idea of how we can make sort of this bit of uh, Sunday mornings a little bit more interactive. And what we did was we got into small groups and we kind of had a couple of questions just to discuss in small groups. And we thought that it would be a good idea to try and carry that on a little bit. Um, and so before we dig into this morning's text, here's a question for you. And the question is... Not there. The question... There you go. What do you think the church... Gone back? No, no, no. Not that one. What do you think the church is for? Does that make sense? Is that a simple question? So get into little groups, threes, fours, introduce yourself. If you don't know one another, say hello. You've literally got like two minutes on this. What do you think the church is for? Not as in what do you think the church is against, but what do you think the church is for? What is the purpose of the church? What's the point of the church? Okay, you've got about 30 more seconds, something like that. It's, a, it's an easy question. You can easily answer it in 30 seconds flat. Okay. We'll come back to that maybe towards the end. Thank you. So if you've got a Bible, dig out Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. The words should come up on the screen. But if they don't, you'll just have to use a Bible. There should be some Bibles lying around. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take one. This is Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. 
And, and then um, Paul does this kind of thing that he does. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's likely that he was going to go on to pray for um, his Gentile readers. But, um, you know, he says, for this reason, I, Paul. And, and then he sort of, um, he does this sort of slightly irritating thing. He interrupts himself. And um, uh, so he doesn't actually begin the prayer until verse 14. So he sort of starts off this, I'm about to pray for you a bit, and it's like, well, actually, while I'm not thinking about it, I'm going to just go over here, which is what he does in verse 2, which is he says this. He says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly, kind of the previous bit of his letter in chapters 1 and 2. Verse 4, in reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was, made, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. We ask that your spirit would move upon us, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might um, meet with you, that we might see you, that we might understand you um, more, that you would transform us with ever-increasing glory into the image of your precious son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, Ephesians, you've got to love, um, you've got to love Ephesians, fantastic, uh, fantastic little book, fantastic little letter, and when you kind of read it, one of the things that really comes across through it, one of the many themes, is, is Paul basically saying that he believes in the church, it's the Apostle Paul writing, that's one of the key themes of Ephesians, this thing about we believe in the church. Now, you may be very familiar with the fact that not everybody feels the same. In fact, a lot of Christians um, don't feel necessarily uh, the same about the church. A while ago, I came across uh, someone who likens the church to um, Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. Uh, they wrote this. They said, churches are so often like the movie, full of rare species, and saying nothing, demanding detailed exegetical sermons. Apologies for that. Uh, gargantuan in structure, voracious in appetite, consuming so much time, energy, and money foraging for food that they have little left for those around them. And like the dinosaurs, the church is out of place, out of touch, and in danger of becoming extinct. Ouch. 
which is fair enough. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion. But, you know, if that's the case, and that's a case uh, that a lot of people, a lot of Christians have, um, the opinion a lot of Christians have, how would we reconcile that view of the church uh, with what Paul is writing here in verse 10 when he says that his intent, God's intent, was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he's accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, if you read the Bible, you quickly see that the church is actually central um, to God's plan for humanity and for humankind. And as followers of Jesus, whatever we think about the church, we are called to believe in the church. And this phrase, we believe in the church, is that, it's actually from um, one of the creeds, it's from the Nicene Creed, uh, because right from the very earliest days of Christianity, from the earliest days of the church, Christians developed these kind of um, simple summaries of the faith. And these summaries of the faith became known as the creeds, coming from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe, I trust. And uh, way back in 325 AD, the emperor of the time, that was uh, Constantine, he called together a council of all of the bishops to meet in a, uh, a, the city of Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey, to deal with the, a crisis that had arisen across the church. And the crisis was um, concerned a particular bishop. He was named uh, Arius. And he was teaching, basically, that there was a time when the Son of God didn't exist. Okay? There was a point in time when the Son of God didn't exist, which by definition means that at a certain point in time, the Son of God was created. And everyone got their nicknames because this is kind of like heresy. And uh, this threatened to divide the whole church. And Constantine, he was trying to kind of hope for church unity, got all the bishops together to deal with this, and under the leadership of a chap named um, Athanasius, the Nicene Creed was hammered out. And so for nearly 2,000 years, the church has affirmed its sort of statement of faith, its faith in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and this creed, the Nicene Creed, is slightly different to the Apostles' Creed, which is more of a summary. The Nicene Creed is a little bit more detailed, but it's a, a more detailed summary of what the whole church believes about the sort of great central doctrines and tenets of the Christian faith. And it begins with the statement, we believe. And saying the creed together, what it does is it, it binds Christians together, follows of Jesus together as a, as a believing community across all kinds of different traditions and practices. Because as we say the creed, what we're doing is we're joining in with Christians, past and present, from all over the world, of all kinds of different denominations and whatevers, uh, in proclaiming the commonality and our common faith. And we haven't done this for a while, but Kate and I thought that it might be a good idea to read the creed together, out loud. Is that okay? Um, so why don't you stand? And the words should come up here. So, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, 
begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. sit down thank you do you notice at the end of the creed there's this really interesting little line in which um, we state together that in order to be a christian we also need to believe in the church we believe in one holy catholic and apostolic church now uh, just to be clear that's not referring solely to the catholic church with the capital C, you know, the one with the Pope uh, at its head. Um, small C Catholic means universal. So we believe in one holy, universal and apostolic church. And, and what it means is that everyone who is attached to Jesus by faith is part of one church, whatever the particular denomination or manifestation. And it's built on the teaching of the apostles. It's an apostolic church. And so Christians are people who not only believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but Christians from the earliest days have also said, we believe in the church. And from our perspective, and you'll hopefully have often heard us say this, um, our kind of take on this is like the church, the, the universal church, is like a great big stew. And the vineyard um, is just one very, very, very small flavor in that stew. And you've got the Anglicans and the Methodists and the Catholics and New Frontiers and the Baptists. And, and they're all kind of like the, you know, the, the chunky bits, like the meat and the, the vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And you've got all sorts of other streams and denominations and movements. And all of those um, are expressions of the church that are making known the manifold wisdom of God. And all these different churches, all these different denominations, they're just all different ingredients in God's fantastic stew. And in the vineyard, and here at Southwest London Vineyard, we are just um, one little bit of the flavoring that the Lord would add to the mix, you know, a, a pinch of paprika or a soupçon of something small. And it's small in the scheme of things, over 2,000 years of church history. I mean, who are we? Uh, but... Uh, it's important that we remain faithful to the mandate that God has given us to retain our unique and distinctive flavor because it's still a unique and distinctive flavor nonetheless. And, you know, we join along with the church, the rest of the church, we look to the scriptures, and the scriptures provide us with our plumb line and our yardstick from which we gain our understanding of what is our common and shared belief. And it's, 
It's this area of common ground for belief that is what we understand to be orthodoxy. And it's the study of orthodoxy that is the basis for promoting unity, since kind of by definition, this is what all Christians must agree on. Uh, orthodoxy literally means right opinion. All true believers are orthodox because they hold to the right opinions about the most basic Christian doctrines. C.S. Lewis puts it like this in the preface to Mere Christianity. He says what he's trying to do is he's trying to assert what orthodoxy is and um, what are the main and plain issues that are non-negotiable. These are the things that like, we would go to the stake over, you know, things like the incarnation of Christ, the resurrection of Jesus. And then he's sort of referring really basically to the things that we wouldn't go to the stake over, um, things that are really not worth getting all hot under the collar about, uh, things like, you know, should you wear a suit or a hat to church on a Sunday, or uh, is it only a real church if it's got a pipe organ, and is it, you know, going straight to the pit of hell if there's a guitar on the stage, as uh, the church has in the past thought about? Um, is it only kosher, um, probably not the right word, but um, to meet in a, you know, a Norman church, or is a school hall, will a school hall suffice? And on and on it goes. And any of you who've been around the church for more than five minutes know that we are exceptionally good at quibbling and fighting over a whole realm of things that really, really, really don't matter. Uh, what C.S. Lewis says is this. He says, orthodoxy is more like a hall out of which doors open into several rooms. If I can bring anyone into that hall... I should have done what I've attempted. But it is in the rooms, not in the hall, that there are fires and chairs and meals. And of course, the, the fires and the chairs and the meals he's talking about, they're Lewis's description of like the second tier, if you like, the, the separate ecclesiastical traditions that are unique to the Anglicans and unique to the Catholics and unique to the Methodists and the Baptists and the Vineyard and whatever, and on and on and on. And you see, what it does is it allows... Christians to agree on the essentials, on the very, very essential essentials, um, on that which is orthodox. It allows us to cling to our differences with humility and charity. Our, our job is to put our feet down on the pedal of mere Christianity, you know, the classic um, consensual tradition of the gospel. But at the same time, we're free to hold to all of our particular uh, traditions as, as very important, but much less certain than that first and primary tier. All of that to say, in this expression of the body of Christ we call the vineyard, the God has mandated us with this unique uh, flavor and style, and we're to remain faithful to that and bring that to the stew. But on matters of orthodoxy, we are as agreed and as united and as shoulder to shoulder as you can get with our other orthodox brethren. But as a body, we have our own rooms off the hallway of orthodoxy with our own meals, our own fires, our own style of chairs, mostly from Ikea, probably, um, our understanding and our outworking of what it is that God has called us to do. Does that make sense? So um, what is it that God has asked us to do? What is it that he's called us to? Well, back to our question at the beginning. What is the church for? 
Well, uh, verse 10 is pretty clear, I think. Uh, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he's accomplished through Christ Jesus our Lord. It, it's pretty simple. Uh, the church um, is called to demonstrate the wisdom of God's mysterious plan, which is the good news of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And in these verses in Ephesians, Paul's, Paul's been talking about the mystery of the gospel, you know, the amazing story of how God has chosen to save the world um, through his son, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to expand that through the mystery, really, of the church. And, and that mystery, he talks about in verse 6, um, which is this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Uh, John Stott puts it like this. He says, the mystery is the complete union of Jews and Gentiles with each other through the union of both with Christ. It is this double union with Christ and with each other, which is the substance of the mystery. You see, the church isn't just some uh, sociological phenomenon. It's not just some religious club. The church is meant to be a demonstration to the angels. In effect, what Paul's saying here is like saying, I want you to picture a drama, um, the unfolding drama of the history of the universe. You know, the writer, the director, everybody is, you know, we put it together is God, he's created the whole thing. And the audience for this drama is actually the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You know, in other words, the, 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 the people watching are the angels and the demons. And the actors in this drama is the church, the church throughout Christian history. And the angels and the demons are watching the church. They're watching as we make known the manifold wisdom of God, which is a fairly sobering thought. Because when you look at it, you know, we look at it in a global context, we look at the size and power and influence of global institutions and corporations, and we think, uh, the church? Really? I mean, it's hard to believe. But then, if you look at Jesus' teaching on the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, it all, it all starts to make a little bit more sense. You, when you look at Jesus' teaching of the kingdom of God, it's where the kingdom of this world gets turned upside down and on its head. And so in the kingdom of God, it's the meek who will inherit the earth. But it's not like that in this world. In the kingdom of God, it's the last who shall be first. You know, where if you want to lead, you need to serve. Where if you want to be rich, you need to give all your money away. Where if you want to truly live, you need to die to yourself. Where faith, as small as a mustard seed, can move mountains. The kingdom of God is upside down and back to front. And nowhere is that more evident than in God choosing the church to make known the manifold wisdom of God. It's like, what were you thinking? And you soon begin to see that it, whilst it may not look like the best plan that anyone could have come up with, the church is actually the hope for the world. 
Because God is at work through the church, moving from a plan that he has had conceived in eternity, that he's been working through the whole of history, that will reach a climax within history, and then it goes on beyond that to another eternity in the future. And the center of God's plan is Jesus Christ, together with his redeemed and reconciled people, the church. And so as part of this upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, God has chosen the church. Don't ask me why. He's chosen the church with all of its faults and all of its frailties and all of its shortcomings and all of its stuff-ups, of which there are many, as you know. He's chosen the church to be the channel through which the manifold wisdom of God, the mystery of God, the fullness of the kingdom should be made known. Which is incredible. I mean, what a privilege. How awesome is that? That God would choose these us as in our weakness and our frailty and our hopelessness and uselessness to make known the manifold wisdom of God. How are we doing? You know, as, as the church, how, how are we doing? And I thought it'd be fun just to try and go through some of the ways, and this is only some of the ways, um, that we believe that the church, this church, and by that I mean all of you lot, right, and your South African brethren and sisters who are at home watching rugby, uh, <clears throat> but not them quite so much. Um, how are we doing? And, and the first, the most obvious, is, is this bizarrely, this very thing, this gathering, this really weirdly strange thing that we do week in, week out, uh, Sunday by Sunday. Do you have any idea how radically countercultural you being here on a Sunday morning is? It's like, we're doing what exactly? Um, but we are here together demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God whether we kind of feel it or realize it or not, which is why this, amongst many other things, is so incredibly important. And as we make known the manifold um, wisdom of God, we're standing alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're, we're choosing. We're choosing. You being here this morning is a choice. You've chosen to interrupt your schedules. You've, as Eugene Peterson says, you've chosen to interrupt your preoccupation with yourself and the many, 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 many other much, much, much more interesting, much more fun things like watching the rugby that you could be doing. Um, you've interrupted your personal preferences to choose to get bored out of your brain listening to me, but to attend to the presence of the Almighty. And that... Whether we realize it or not, whether it's a conscious thing, whether we feel it or not, that is the stuff of mustard seed kingdom theology. It may not look like very much. It may not be that much fun. But this is how the kingdom of God works. It's profoundly important. Just your very presence here right now. You are proclaiming, you are declaring the manifold wisdom of God to principalities, rulers, and powers, just by your very presence. So thank you for being here. Thank you for taking your faith and your Bibles seriously, regardless of how it feels. Just you being here, you are making known the manifold wisdom of God. And it's awesome. It's profound. Um, there's a whole bunch of you this morning. There's just a whole bunch of one of you, um, Dylan, uh, who have been like work tirelessly, you know, setting up 
Like Dylan should be at home watching the rugby, but he's not. He's here. God bless him. Um, setting up, making sure that everything can be done. And, you know, some of you are here on welcome, and there's you guys on sound, and you're on tea and coffee, and all of that kind of stuff. But you're not just here to get a job done. You're here to facilitate the making known of the manifold wisdom of God. And that's incredible. And we are extremely grateful for that faithful and wonderful expression of the kingdom of God. It's not just a task. It's a spiritual act. Other things that are going on. Um, Manny and Sinead, they're, they're, you probably don't, if you don't have kids, you probably don't even know that there are any kids. It's a bit like, um, what's that? The rat catcher? What's that? <laughs> no, 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 the, the Pied Piper. What we do is Manny and Sinead come out with their little flute and whisk all the children off to the, um, to the gym. Uh, but we do actually have children, right? They're just they're hidden away. Uh, uh, but Manny and Sinead, they lead an incredible team. They have the most phenomenal team. You people who serve on Vineyard Kids, you are unbelievable. And week in, week out, they are making known the manifold wisdom of God, yes, to angels and demons, but also to a whole bunch of Vineyard Kids. And what's happening is that those kids, in turn, are because of what they're learning there, they are then going to the places that God sends them, regardless of their age, to make known the manifold wisdom of God, to the playground and to their friends and to wherever it is that they find themselves. Um, just to give you some idea of the, we'll have the video in a second, just to give you some idea of the hidden nature of the kingdom of God and how slow and how steady it can be. I came across this story um, the other day. It's a lady uh, who's, she's actually in Alpha this week. Um, I haven't actually asked her, so don't tell her that I've shown her this video. <laughs> she recently started coming to church um, and she was first impacted by vineyard kids doing servant evangelism. What they used to do years ago, they used to go out onto the estate during the Sunday morning service. They used to make some things in vineyard kids. You know, we used to buy flowers or they'd make something like candle holders and stuff. And then they'd go onto the estate on a Sunday morning, knocking on people's doors, and they'd say, we've got a small gift of um, God's, you know, it's an expression of God's love for you, and can we pray for you, right? And that's what they do. Like, they do that from time to time. I, I don't know how many years ago this was, but um, hopefully... Here's her story, and it's not sideways. So my name is Susie Lange, and I live in Hayward Gardens. Um, you, you lot knocked on my door about 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago, your children, and you gave me a present. Now, this present was a little candle holder, which I've kept all the time. I'm going to look for it and bring it in, and I wonder if the person who made it, if you can find them for me, because I'd like to show how, as a young child, they gave that to, to someone, and I kept it in my heart, and the church always in my heart. I only live across the road, but it's took me this long to get there. So I try and look for it for you. It's something really dear to me. So thank you, children, whoever you was who gave it to me from Vine Church. Is that incredible? The kingdom of God at work, just over so many years, probably like 15 years, something like that. Slow, slow, slow. Now she walked into Job Club about a month ago and has been at Alpha for the last three weeks. And she's a all kinds of different things. And you'll probably bump into her in the coffee, but just don't tell her. Um, over the past few weeks, a whole bunch of you have been involved in parenting courses that have been running. And again, while it may not look like it, it's a perfect example of the manifold wisdom of God being made known. Half the parents who signed up weren't from the church. They were friends from the local community. Uh, one woman who used to attend Little Fish, which is a sort of parent and carers group um, for small kids at the yard, 
after a chance meeting at the yard, she turned, she came in that morning to the yard and then she came to the parenting course uh, in the evening. Uh, on Tuesdays at the yard after a, a term off, Little Fish is now back up and running. Little Fish again has just been opening its doors to parents and carers with babies and toddlers for over 10 years now and over the last year or so, three quarters of parents and carers who come along, they're not from the local church, uh, again, um, they are having the manifold wisdom of God made known to them. Sinead was telling us that one of her favorite stories from a little fish was about a two-year-old uh, whose parents aren't Christian, whose mum had said that the, 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 the little boy talking about the yard had said that he wanted to go to Jesus' house. Um, Charlie and his team, they're doing great guns. He's got a whole bunch of team over there. He's got Oki and Ebenezer. He's got Chris. They're all going great guns with the youth at the yard on a Sunday morning. They're running Alpha uh, for the youth. They're putting a whole bunch of plans together, having a whole bunch of fun doing so. Uh, on Tuesdays at the yard, Charlie's started. We have a job club, which we'll talk about in a minute. But on a Tuesday um, at the yard, jo Charlie started this Bible study uh, for the local uh, community, for anyone who really wants to be their clients of job club. Uh, it is, Tara, isn't it? It is a sight to behold. It is an experience. Um, Tara's there, uh, which is fantastic. And, and every week, like a whole bunch of people just who are just hungry for Jesus, and they, they're all in different places. Everyone's in different places in terms of their relationship with Jesus. They just um, pitch up and, and want to find out more. And uh, they may or may not know very much about the Bible or Jesus. And at the moment, we're eagerly and uh, interestingly and challengingly trying to work through the Sermon on the Mount. Who knew that was so complicated? Um, and it's, it's fascinating. It's such a privilege to be part of because the people who come along are so hungry um, to push into Jesus. And they're changing. People there are changing so fast. Last week we had a chap who, who just came in. We've been, we've been praying for him on and off. We kind of see him around the yard. He's a, he's a just sweet, 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 sweet man. Uh, he's an alcoholic. He's trying to get himself um, free from his drug addiction. But uh, he, and he's not succeeding. But, you know, he'll be like, you know, Neil, will you, will you pray for me? And I'm like, yeah, I'm praying for you. Um, and he came in. I managed to persuade him to come in and sit and uh, join us for the Bible study. And um, it was great. It, it, he's struggling. But he keeps asking us. He says, you know, will you keep praying for me? And yeah, absolutely, we'll keep praying. Uh, it's a real privilege building relationship with him. Every week, um, someone comes in and really completely unprompted will just share. Some of, the, some of the most honest and profound sharing in a small group um, I've, experienced is, is, I've experienced at the Bible study at the Yard. Um, it's raw and real. So someone each week will say, I'm this, I I'm just want to be honest, but I'm really, really struggling with unforgiveness. Like, I find it really, really difficult. I find, I find, I find forgiveness really, really hard. You're like, yeah, as do the rest of us, but I'm not sure the rest of us are that easy to say so. Um, someone will say, I'm really struggling with my alcohol addiction or I'm, I'm trying to stay free of the drugs, but it's really, really difficult. I'm under a whole load of challenge and pressure and... Um, People just wanting Jesus to come and change them. And it, it's, it's insane. It's really, really great. Uh, so many of the familiar Bible stories most of us know and love, these guys are hearing for the first time, some of these people. We were talking about Jesus walking on water. Uh, it was 
um, memorable. I think we were like, so one of the, one of the people in the Bible said, hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on a second, hold on. You're saying that they're all in a boat and then suddenly Jesus is what, like walking on the water? I'm like, yeah, 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 as if when everyone's heard that story. That's crazy, you know. That's so Jesus is doing his magic and he's walking on the water. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of, we use different language, but yes, that's kind of the gist of it. And then she used colorful language to describe the emotions. Uh, colorful, but very, very accurate language to describe how the people in the boat might feel with the prospect of this ghostly figure walking on water towards them across the lake. And, and it was so refreshing because it's like, yeah, that's exactly how they would have reacted. Right? But we tend to, you know, those of us who've been around for five minutes go, yes, of course, I mean, you know, how marvelous Jesus walking on water. I wouldn't have been phased at all, you know. <laughs> of course, I would expect nothing less, you know, from the Son of God, Savior of the world, yes. And, there, and so it brings a new level of clarity and perspective and an alternative translation of the scriptures, um, which we love. And um, it, it doesn't look neat and tidy. Um, in any way, shape, or form. But these people are crashing into the kingdom. Now, moving so fast and so quickly towards Jesus. Um, Charlie leads the whole thing incredibly well. I don't know how he does it, but it's a real privilege to be part of something so profound. Um, another thing that's been started up recently, again, Charlie puts together, is um, a community gardening project at the yard. Uh, we're trying to kind of just reclaim some of the physical space for local residents um, to use on the estate. And you're kind of recruiting people to get involved in the gardening. It's going fairly well. Um, although the first batch of herbs that he planted, this was his first uh, crop of herbs. He planted them one week and then he went to show me the next week and um, they'd all been stolen. Um, but he's pressing on. So uh, eventually uh, we think that that will just, that we're going for mustard seed theology and practice um, literally and metaphorically. Um, Mike, Mike's like the linchpin of the yard. He, he's incredible. So much of what Mike does is hidden and behind the scenes. And again, all of it is just the essence of the kingdom of God. Um, food bank, you, you, so many of you are involved in serving on food bank, which is incredible. You know that we run a food bank at the yard every Wednesday and uh, every Wednesday morning, every Sunday afternoon as part of the um, Wandsworth Food Bank Network. Uh, you may have seen in the media that food bank usage is growing um, across Wandsworth. There was a 40% increase over the summer compared to last year. A couple of weeks ago, the, the guys there had their busiest ever food bank session with 14 voucher holders showing up and gave away about 280 kilograms of food in one session. That's a, that's a lot. Um, one of the guys who arrived uh, for the first time, you know, we tell everyone that we're a church, you know, and it's like, this is who we are, and this is what we do, and da, da, da. and you'd be really welcome to come along, but it's not, you know, you're still going to get your food, it's, it's not a requirement, and, um, and so everyone gets invited, and um, we get a lot of those each week, and often, of course, they don't show up, so um, Mike didn't give it a second thought when he met this chap until he came on walking up the stairs the other Sunday. And um, he's now in Alpha. He's joining Joe and Becky, who are running Alpha. So Alpha's another thing, by the way, just the demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God. It's happening over there in the, in the foyer. And, and Joe and Becky have put together a fantastic team, um, which is just brilliant. 
but on the food bank front, we, we now have more volunteers on a Sunday um, from outside the church than from within, within the church, which is fantastic, which is great. But, um, you know, in terms of offering to be able to pray for somebody and maybe invite them to church or invite them into something else, that becomes more difficult. And so any of you who are uh, around on a Sunday and wouldn't want to get involved in Food Bank, we'd love uh, to get you to get involved. Um, talk to Mike, and I'm sure he can point you in the right direction. Um, Job Club. Job Club was started up by our very own, very, very dear Peter Hawke, who's no longer with us. Um, and that just continues just to be part of a small part of his incredible um, legacy of that remarkable man. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we were there. We were, we were kind of putting Alpha flyers through people's letterboxes um, on the estate just to invite them to Alpha and Youth Alpha and all the different things that are going on. And we bumped into a lady who had come to Job Club about six months before. And one of the things we'd done, we'd applied. We'd helped her make an application form uh, to be a carer. And um, while she was actually, while she was waiting for that job to be finalized, she helped out at the food bank every um, Wednesday. And then when Mike bumped into her when he was doing leaflet dropping, uh, she said that last month she'd won the award for carer of the month. And, um, you know, which is incredible. We don't often get feedback in terms of the people that we've sort of helped and the teams have helped get into work, and, and, and sometimes it's just about being community and just opening up the space and being together and listening to one another and maybe offering to pray for each other and stuff like that, which is great. Um, as winter fast approaches, number of homeless people on the estate is high. One of the things we've done is we've, um, we've converted one of the toilets at the yard into a, a fantastic shower unit. Um, so if you see or know of any homeless people who could do with freshening up, I mean, again, it's about dignity, and that's just one of the ways in which people just feel um, so much shame and so much embarrassment. And if they can just create and find a space where they can just freshen up, we've got towels and a whole kind of load of stuff, um, where it's very private. Um, just tell them about it. Let them know where the yard is. Uh, if they want to come along, that's absolutely fine. I'm running out of time. There's, there's all kinds of things going on. You know, the ways in which you are making known the manifold wisdom of God is just remarkable. There's you know, small groups. James is starting something up with refugees. We've got a meeting on, on Tuesday. The way that you're supporting international mission at the moment, all the money that goes into the offering basket on a Sunday is being given away directly to supporting um, the Lunchbowl Network, Stuart and Sally McGreevy's initiative in Kenya. Um, we've been supporting and, and ongoing supporting the, the Yangon Vineyard in, in, in Myanmar and the Eden Project. Uh, you will have seen a few weeks ago we started selling jewellery um, for Eden and we're going to be doing that again in the run-up to Christmas. Is that right, Mike? Uh, so um, that's going to be uh, happening. Um, Kate's working again with Hestia and the Salvation Army this year. So we're looking to collect and gather a whole bunch of Christmas presents that we can give away and so that will be you're talking about that in the next week or two but you know start thinking about that much as we did last week um, just these random acts of kindness which hopefully will make known um, the manifold wisdom of God and and it goes on and on and on um, I think what pram is starting up is that right um, what pram is start, when is that starting up so end of November is that after the morning service or during yeah, okay so what pram is um is again another way in which the manifold wisdom of God is made known to uh, a whole bunch of people who are expecting children. Uh, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Uh, so, you know, if you or anyone you know is in that stage of life, um, Camilla and Sarah, 
fantastic experience. They've been doing this for many, many years. It's just a great way of just helping support people. And, and then that support continues beyond uh, what Pram, Camilla, and Sarah are fantastic uh, postnatally as well. And so um, if you or anyone you know is, is pregnant, then um, talk to Camilla, and, uh, but there'll be some flyers out and stuff like that. But again, these are just, and there's so many others, you know, I can't, can't think of them all, but they're just maybe mustard seeds, you know, seemingly invisible, seemingly unremarkable things in and of themselves. They don't look like much, but they are ways in which you as a church are making known the manifold wisdom of God. And it's fantastic. And we're very, very grateful to the Lord and to you. Just to end with, um, this, is a, this is a rhetorical prayer. This is just for you to kind of reflect on yourself because I want us to move into ministry which will connect with this. Um, the question is, in what way, as part of the body of Christ, do you see yourself maybe working with others to make known the manifold wisdom of God? So that question is just for you to consider, maybe think about over the course of this, the rest of the day or the week. In what, in what way are you as part of this body of, Christ, body of Christ? How are you, do you, how do you see yourself, maybe on your own, maybe working with others, as making known the manifold wisdom of God? And that's just, again, just for you to think about and reflect on. And to start to maybe reframe some of the things that you're doing, sometimes we get jaded, sometimes we forget, and sometimes we just go through the motions. And maybe the Spirit of God is inviting us to remember the, you know, the small groups that we run, the worship teams that we lead, the, the setup that I do on a Sunday morning, the, the volunteering at the food bank or the job club or the projector or working on Vineyard Kids or being asked to serve on youth or going to the evening service or just pitching up at church. They're not just things that we do. They are ways in which the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to rulers and authorities and powers. And as such, each and every single one of them is a profound spiritual act. And why don't you stand and we'll minister to one another. <laughs>